The early months of a baby's life consist of crucial neurodevelopmental windows that lay the groundwork for later outcomes. So we're on a mission to help parents and professionals look at development through a holistic lens. By creating homes that promote connection through play, we can make a huge difference in our little ones for years to come. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Dr. Nurture podcast. Our show today is an experiment of sorts to see if we're actually capable of managing all of the technological requirements that it takes to run a podcast. Um, If you heard that, that was my phone buzzing because I don't know how to um, manage this thing yet. But I always say that I am actually a very sorry excuse for a millennial. So um, please forgive the sound quality on most of this episode because we couldn't figure out how to get our real microphones to work. Uh, But hopefully we'll have that figured out by next time. Uh, As I've tried my hand at this editing stuff, I've learned that it is actually possible to say um over a hundred times per conversation. So thank you for your grace as you listen to this internal processor try to make a podcast. And also thank you for not making fun of my editing skills. Anyways, in this episode, we talked about absolutely none of the things that we'd initially planned, uh, but we did manage to ramble about emotional regulation and co-regulation, the effect of parent stress on an infant's physiology, and also how parents are the experts and change makers whenever it comes to providing the supports that your child needs in order to grow and flourish. We talk about developmental windows in the growing nervous system, recognizing our own emotional traumas that we may bring to the table as we parent, and also ways to deal with the -the in-the-moment stressors when you just want to run for the hills or scream. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Dr. Nurture Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Macy Bassler, and I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Kaylee Archie. We are going to talk to you today about child development, and to start off, I'll let Kaylee introduce herself, what she does, and... Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I, I just finished up my Doctor of Social Work, so that's what my discipline is. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Kentucky. A lot of my experience has been with children and adolescents and families, and I, I work a lot with children with behavioral issues, different mental health issues, emotional dysregulation issues, and I really work with the children specifically, but then I bring in the parents as well in order to help them co-regulate and find emotional balance for themselves and to treat their symptoms. So I really do a lot of work with kids and families and how they can continue to grow and maybe also cope with some trauma and life stressors they've been through. So I'm really passionate about making healthy homes, which as I know you are too. So I, Macy, am a physical therapist and also I have a certification in breastfeeding and I'm working right now towards certification to be an international board certified lactation consultant or IBCLC and so 
I've been getting a lot of hours working with even more babies. Um, as a physical therapist, I work with the early intervention system. So that means kids from zero to three. And I work primarily, of course, with their motor skills, gross and fine motor. But birth to three is really kind of different from your traditional therapy in that there is a lot of overlap between different disciplines, that being maybe occupational therapy or speech therapy or, you know, a variety of other things. But it's a it's set up as a coaching model. And so really, you are coming into the home as not the expert on the child, but you're Asking the family, you know, what is priority to you with your child's development and how can we help you problem solve to, to help them participate in daily routines and, you know, succeed when it comes to playtime or mealtimes or whatever it might be. I mentioned the overlap between the other disciplines and that has caused me to start thinking more about development from a more holistic lens and just how so much of it is just inseparable, you know, whether it's mealtime and motor skills or breastfeeding and reflexes, you know, there's just so much that you really can't get a, a complete solution to a problem um, without looking at the entire person. So anyways, we take care of their little ones and just to, to recognize that Parents really are the experts when it comes to their babies and and older kids too, of course, as it, Kaylee, Kaylee works with a little bit older of a population than I do. But we just want to help you all to be able to connect the dots between all of those different areas of development and support you as you're trying to navigate what's normal, what's what's a problem, and all those kinds of things from you know our different perspectives. Yeah. That's our goal. Yeah, you know, because some people may be sitting out there like, what overlap does a physical therapist and a social worker have, right? Like, where is that middle ground at? But um, that's where we come in together is because we're both passionate about families. We're passionate about having healthy homes. And we're passionate about children growing up in healthier homes so that we can continue that cycle and maybe break uh, generational cycles of dysregulation in the home, whatever that looks like, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to say, too, um, just a little bit about our background. Me and my husband have done foster care, and Kaylee and her husband have been very instrumental in, you know, just being a constant support to us through that and navigating that system. But that being said, we do have very high needs now adopted daughter, and we have been through so, so many medical appointments and therapy sessions and what have you and have really been um, hurt by a lot of there's so many professionals that just do not listen to you that think that you're just that you that you don't really know as much about your child or pick up on these things like like they do in the you know maybe hour that you've been with them and you know we've just been written off so many times and I'm sure you'll hear so many stories <laughs> um, just a lot of harmful words that have been dished out by medical professionals the very people that are supposed to be healing and so we just want we just really want to emphasize the the value that a parent has in the well-being of their little one and so Really, a huge part of this is the home setting. We'll just kind of go into some of the things with uh, 
home, setting up environments for success. And really, I guess I'll start by asking you this, Kaylee. In your eyes, from a mental health perspective, what do you see as like the foundation, if you're starting from infancy or pregnancy even, you know, what is the foundation of healthy development? Yeah, I think the first step in this, and you yourself doing the work to become emotionally regulated, right? If you as the adult aren't emotionally regulated, then when you have a child, it's not just going to magically make you emotionally regulated, right? And and you are, as the parent, you are really the people who are setting the stage for what your home is going to be like and, and the environment your kids are going to be in and how they regulate their emotions. And so we have to make sure within ourselves that we have done the work and, and we know our triggers, emotional triggers, and we know how to cope with those triggers. And as an adult and as a person, and maybe that was never modeled for you. And so I hope maybe through this too, and through this podcast, I can give you some good tips on how you can do that within yourself. Because I really do think that's the first step in setting the stage for a stable home is for parents to be able to emotionally regulate. Because as we will go through, there are some developmental milestones emotionally that children go through and they really need a stable place and a stable foundation to land on in order for them to work through these things. And that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you're not going to lose your cool sometimes, right? We're all human, but just trying to work from that place of we can stay regulated so that hopefully as our children go through these different stages, they can stay regulated as well. And we can help them work through these things. So the first, the first stage of development, and this is from Eric's, Erickson's Stages of Development, and I got a lot of this information from verywellmind.com, and that's a good resource if you guys have not looked into that. But uh, there are some main stages that children go through, and it starts first from infancy to 18 months, and this is called the trust versus mistrust stage. And within this stage, it is, it's a fundamental stage of life because an infant is, they are completely dependent on their parents, right? They, they can't do anything for themselves. And, you know, Macy has, she has, uh, coming out of infancy, but Chip, and uh, he is becoming more independent, right? But there's definitely a stage where between this infancy to 18 months that they are very, very dependent. They are dependent on the caregiver. And so the caregiver is responsible for feeding them, uh, giving them love, giving them warmth, giving them safety, giving them stability, and uh, making sure they have good sleep cycles, which Macy will go into a little bit more of that things, and that they're really nurtured. And so this is a very crucial time in their life. And if a caregiver fails to provide this care and love that the infant needs from infant 18 months, then the, the infant may come to feel that they can't trust the adults in their lives. That's where this trust versus mistrust comes in. Can they trust adults? Can they not trust adults? And so this really starts as soon as infancy occurs and that they start to develop this these attachment styles and, and these different ways that they think they can trust people or not. And so that's the first thing is when they are dependent on a caregiver that is reliable and provides these things, like I said, that does not mean that you're going to be perfect. No one is perfect, but that can provide these things the best of their ability. They're going to develop that trust. And if they don't have that, then they may have a belief that the world is unpredictable and inconsistent. And during this stage, they develop you know, whether they feel like the adults in their lives can provide that reliability, care, and affection that they know that they need. I was just going to say, uh, just along with that, is that, you know, of course, I see 
a wide spectrum of different kinds of um, kids, kids with different diagnoses and backgrounds and all this. And I do end up working with a lot of kids who have um, history of being in foster care or, um, you know, CPS involvement. And, you and know, Chloe, just, you know, yeah, child. Yeah, Love Chloe's it. my uh, oldest daughter. She's nine now. And Chip is your youngest. How old is Chip? <laughs> Chip is 11 months. Yep, Chloe's nine. We adopted her from foster care several years ago. And then also have uh, Lucy, a two-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> she's fun. But anyways, the kids across the board I see that have this early uh, trauma in their life, even if, you know, they're so teeny tiny that they that they don't necessarily remember it. Um, I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, several week old babies uh, as they grow and age. They across the board have far more delays and um, just developmental issues um, they're slower to acquire, uh, you know, motor milestones for sure. And, you know, so often speech, language, um, fine motor skills, uh, attachment, and like, you know, seeing that back and forth interaction with a person, just like some very maladaptive social skills as well. Just from that early period, I mean, so many things can happen. And there's so much neurodiversity in just normal cases, but... You know, I do see it a lot that trauma really affects development, which is no surprise to anybody. I've just been thinking so much lately about what are we doing that's accidentally maybe causing, quote, trauma to our kids. Of course, trauma is relative, and I don't want to, like, mitigate what what trauma actually is. But, you know, we can do a lot to our little ones' nervous systems by not quickly responding to needs and you know sometimes you just have to like get stuff done but do you just let your baby cry and cry and cry whenever they're needing something or are you are you quick to respond and offer that nurturing touch or a loving voice or you know the bottle if that's what they're needing instead of being so dead set on like keeping them on a, a strict feeding schedule or oh I don't know even you know, sleep training, that is a very controversial thing and definitely have not figured that out. Um, each new kid that we acquire becomes the newest experiment. But yeah, these early attachment, the early, early attachment experiences are so foundational to like later outcomes. How responsive am I being? Because humans are just such social creatures. It's just how our brains are wired from the get-go. So that's a huge thing for a baby is how do I interact with my caregiver? How does my caregiver respond or pick up on my needs that I'm trying to communicate and respond to those? Because that that does so much for the developing nervous system and and seriously, the the fight or flight response that is elicited whenever a baby cries and cries or is subject to some kind of stress. Maybe that's a better word for it is stress, not necessarily like trauma because we don't want to overuse that but stress it's not good for any of us it's not good for you know the the 80 year old the 40 year old 20 year old you know there are so many things that stress can cause and we all we all know that and are no stranger to that but just these surges of cortisol even in babies that's that's just detrimental and we can go into more of that on um, a later episode but yeah we just really want to highlight the 
the importance of establishing that bond. That goes exactly along with what I was saying. It's just like we said, it, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Sometimes you may not respond uh, very quickly to their needs, but it's just really trying to do the best you can, which is all we're all trying to do with responding to those needs when they arise, once they arise as soon as we can. Because like Macy said, when they're under stress, then they start to figure out how to regulate. And if that is something they start to regulate within themselves, then they're starting to recognize that they can't trust the adults and that they have to find it within themselves to start regulating. And, and I know there's like this myth that like they don't remember, so it's fine. Like yeah. it's almost like, but like me and Macy, if we've talked about extensively just in our personal lives, how even in young even in utero, even as infant, uh, your your children can pick up on the stress you're experiencing and the stress in the home and their needs being met and, and different things like that. And that's why I started off in the beginning when you asked that question was about emotional regulation within ourselves as, as caregivers and parents because that is really the foundation of helping your infant and your children feel regulated themselves and that they can trust you and that the world isn't a scary place because some of these feelings they may not completely manifest when they're babies but eventually it will manifest which is where I usually see a lot of kids in early childhood or, or later childhood or adolescence that way, that's where we're seeing a lot of these things manifest that has been rooted back to even when they were infants it's just sometimes they don't have the language they don't have the uh, skills they don't have the articulation to be able to show or tell you what's going on in their head and so we don't really see it manifest until they're older and that's just my personal experience with working with children yeah and I think that there's so much to be said about like the quality of warmth when it comes to parenting uh, you'll just see that that parents who are that you can just tell that they delight in their kid and delight in being around them and that are just kind of non-verbally communicating, I delight in you. You are in no way a burden to me. Even whenever you are needy, I I love meeting your needs because, you know, I love you. Like your your own demeanor says so much about, it, it has so much impact on your baby. So that's also something to consider. And, you know, not to just spiral into a mental health conversation, but that is definitely a huge issue in like the early part, postpartum era especially um, whenever so many are subject to postpartum depression and that kind of thing and that flat affect that you can have a lot of times with that can really affect your little ones so we just want to highlight some things over the course of this podcast that can that can help you be more intentional maybe swim a bit harder upstream just knowing these early windows um, are so crucial for later outcomes and I sound like a broken record but in the first weeks of life just these certain experiences whether they're motor or social or whatever getting those sensory inputs and you know these movements and interactions social interactions with caregivers if you miss certain windows then it's much harder for a child to gain that skill further down the road whenever it's almost like their brain is ripe at that perfect point in time it's not like a certain point but you know kind of a optimal range then it it makes it harder for kids to pick up on skills down the road so that's why you know we really want to dive into the early years and how much they matter 
and our reactions as parents really matter so much. They're every every move we make, not not to just you know put unnecessary pressure on us, but just to help us know that this is meaningful work because it can it can be so overwhelming. And you know, especially for maybe stay at home parents who get screamed at by multiple children all day and think, what is it like to talk to an adult human being? And you think, is this, does any of this even matter? But we just want to encourage you that it 100% does. And that even whenever there's not the language for it, your kids are picking up on everything. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I want to go back to what I meant by emotional regulation. So really, we can get dis. Usually someone gets dysregulated when they experience an emotional trigger. So for example, it could be anger. It could be anxiety. It could be sadness. It could be um, any of those emotions. We know they directly have a response within us. And so we have to recognize what are those situations that trigger us, that cause those emotions. Because when we can recognize those triggers for us, then we can have more of a game plan of how we are going to cope with those triggers when they arise. So for example, if you know that when your child screams and has a tantrum, that that also makes you really angry and want to have a tantrum, then you can plan for that because we know that's probably going to happen again. Your, your child's probably going to have a tantrum again. Uh, we can plan for, okay, I know when my child gets really upset and angry, that also elicits some feelings within me and triggers feelings within me. But how will I, as a parent that is trying to grow in regulation and be more stable for my child, deal with those feelings so that I can create a space for my child to regulate as well. Because if we are dysregulated and we're getting angry and we're yelling and they're yelling, then that's not, that's a pretty hostile environment, right? And they're looking to us as the adult to be regulated so that they can model that and know what that looks like. They don't even know what coping with feelings looks like. These are some of the first times they're having any of these feelings. They don't even know what to do with them. And so if we can model that for them in that moment, it is very beneficial for them and for the home in general. So if that, if you know that's a trigger for you, what are some coping skills? What are some things you can plan to do when that happens? Maybe it's having your partner come in and you taking a break for a minute, maybe going to another room and taking some deep breaths, uh, doing some mindfulness, listening to soft music so that you can regulate. And then you can go tag team your partner out and you can help. Re- maybe you need to do that. that. That's why you have a partner. And I, I hope that you do. If you don't, um, hopefully you have a support system that you can call on to help you as well. But you can help each other through this so that you can remain regulated and have this home. And so I know for me, some coping skills for me, when I get dysregulated is, like I said, listen to music. Sometimes when I get angry, I have to separate myself from whatever is making me upset. So maybe going to another room, maybe going for a drive, maybe just going outside, especially if it's warm, and just getting some fresh air and some sun. And um, you, we really want to foster this sense of co-regulation in our home. If we can try to remain regulated in these moments, and you have to identify, like I said, what those triggers are for you and what coping skills work for you, because not all people have the same trigger, not all people have the same coping skills that help them. But if you can identify those and do the work to do that, that will better equip you to be able to regulate yourself so that your child can then feed off you and co-regulate instead of you all feeding off of each other's emotions and it escalating. I believe it's about four years old is when they're saying now that it's not even age appropriate for a child to be able to self-regulate. So be able to, you know, just completely cope with it on their own and calm themselves down. 
but rather they depend on this co-regulation. And as far as like a, a very young infant, your physiology is a direct factor in how they are able to regulate their own physiology. So like say you have a very colicky or crybaby baby, you know, speaking for a friend here, <laughs> not me at all. It can be so distressing as the parent to have a baby that just cries and cries and cries and you cannot satiate that baby for anything. And it, I mean, it gets your heart rate up, it gets your blood just absolutely boiling to the point where, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, step away. But that is actually just directly, it just fuels the fire and makes your infant even more stressed out. And it's like this terrible cycle. So I think that's a great strategy if you have a partner in that situation passing off passing the baton is a good strategy and but then if also you don't you know yeah if yeah. you don't mindfulness is good um obviously yeah. especially when they're in infants you can't really you can't leave them but practicing mind one that i love to do is it's called five senses so you can be there with your baby and you're trying to regulate within yourself and you could you just find five things in the room you can see so we really want to be able to identify the emotional triggers, number one, within ourselves as adults. And there are different triggers that, you know, these triggers are something that cause you to have a certain emotion to a situation. So it could be anger. It could be anxiety. It could be sadness. It could be um, any of those emotions. We know they directly have a response within us. And so we have to recognize what are those situations that trigger us that cause those emotions. Cause when we can recognize those triggers for us, then we can have more of a game plan of how we are going to cope with those triggers when they arise. So for example, if you know that when your child screams and has a tantrum, that that also makes you really angry and want to have a tantrum, then you can plan for that because we know that's probably going to happen again. Your, your child's probably going to have a tantrum again. Uh, we can plan for, okay, I know when my child gets really upset and angry, that also elicits some feelings within me and triggers feelings within me. But how will I, as a parent that is trying to grow in regulation and be more stable for my child, deal with those feelings so that I can create a space for my child to regulate as well. Because if we are dysregulated and we're getting angry and we're yelling and they're yelling, then that's not, that's a pretty hostile environment, right? And they're looking to us as the adult to be regulated so that they can model that and know what that looks like. They don't even know what coping with feelings looks like. These are some of the first times they're having any of these feelings. They don't even know what to do with them. And so if we can model that for them in that moment, it is very beneficial for them and for the home in general. So if that, if you know that's a trigger for you, what are some coping skills? What are some things you can plan to do when that happens? Maybe it's having your partner come in and you taking a break for a minute, maybe going to another room and taking some deep breaths, uh, doing some mindfulness, listening to soft music so that you can regulate. And then you can go tag team your partner out and you can help. And maybe you need to do that. that. That's why you have a partner. And I, I hope that you do. If you don't, um, hopefully you have a support system that you can call on to help you as well. But you can help each other through this so that you can remain regulated and have this home. And so I know for me, some coping skills for me, when I get dysregulated is, like I said, listen to music. Sometimes when I get angry, I have to separate myself from whatever is making me upset. So maybe going to another room, maybe going for a drive, maybe just going outside, especially if it's warm and just getting some fresh air and some sun. 
And um, you, we really want to foster this sense of co-regulation in our home. If we can try to remain regulated in these moments, and you have to identify, like I said, what those triggers are for you and what coping skills work for you, because not all people have the same trigger, not all people have the same coping skills that help them. But if you can identify those and do the work to do that, that will better equip you to be able to regulate yourself so that your child can then feed off you and co-regulate instead of you all feeding off of each other's emotions and it escalating um, increasingly. Yeah, and just, you know, a note on co-regulation, like from the period of infancy to, I believe it's about four years old is when they're saying now that um, it's not even age-appropriate for a child to be able to self-regulate, so be able to, you know, just completely cope with it on their own and calm themselves down. Um, but rather, they depend on this co-regulation. And as far as, like, a, a very young infant, your physiology is a direct factor in how they are able to regulate their own physiology. So, like, say you have... Um, a very colicky or, you know, crybaby baby, um, you know, speaking for a friend here, <laughs> not me at all, um, it can be so distressing as the parent to have a baby that just cries and cries and cries, and you cannot satiate that baby for anything, and it, I mean, it gets your heart rate up, it gets your blood just absolutely boiling um, to the point where, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, step away. But that is actually just directly, um, it just fuels the fire and makes your infant even more stressed out. And it's like this terrible cycle. So I think that's a great strategy. If you have a partner in that situation, passing off, passing the baton is a good strategy. And but if you don't, you know, yeah, if yeah. you don't, mindfulness is good. Um, obviously, yeah. especially when they're in infants, you can't really, you can't leave them. But practicing mind, one that I love to do is it's called five senses. So you can be there with your baby and you're trying to regulate within yourself and you could, you just find five things in the room you can see. Then after you do five things you can see, you would do four things you can feel. Then you would try to find three things you can hear, which one may be the baby, which is fine. That's trying to ground you in mindfulness. Two things you can smell, and if you can't smell anything right then, think of your two favorite smells and one thing you can taste if you can't taste anything at that point. Except um, rage. <laughs> uh, rage. Uh, if you don't have, like, gum or food or whatever or something to drink, think of your favorite taste. And, and there are things you can do with the baby to still help yourself regulate within yourself because just like Macy was saying um, they don't even have the capacity to regulate and so we really have to model that with them and create space for them to do that because that's just important to so that they can learn when they get past that stage of development that you've modeled that well for them and they can carry that out within their own lives. Sometimes I think we have, I don't, Macy, you tell me what you think about this. Sometimes I think we have too high expectations for children to be able to regulate and do things. Oh, that sometimes sure. we as adults, and I'm speaking for me too, working with kids in the capacity I have, sometimes I don't even have some of that capacity to regulate my emotions all the time, but I expect my, the kids I work with to always be able to regulate. I know, oh, and it's like, it's the irony of all ironies. Cause I know probably you know every parent has yelled at their kids at some point. If you haven't, you're an angel, but... <laughs> But um, you're yelling at your toddler to stop yelling because they're out of sorts. Right. 
and as you're getting out of sorts and it's just like, yeah, what are we doing here? Right. But we, <laughs> we just paint these, these little kids and babies as like having ulterior motives and like, oh, they're, they're trying to manipulate me or, uh, you know, or it's going to create bad habits, you know, like my baby's screaming when I put them to bed, like trying to, you know, just like get in my head. Um, <laughs> that might be a more fringe, uh, line of thinking that I've, I have heard that before. Um, but like th- these kids are not, that's, that's not what's happening. Uh-huh. Like, like a baby especially is not even capable of that higher level of thinking. And so, um, I think that having realistic expectations about what is age appropriate as far as you know, self-regulation, self-soothing, then it helps us approach it better because we're like, oh, well, you know, they, they, their little brains just like aren't even ready yet. And you think about it too, with what really is self-regulation, we use coping skills, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We, and a lot of times they're maladaptive, like we eat too much, eat a bunch of comfort food or have a drink of alcohol or several, um, or, you know, even like something more healthy like going for a run it's still something external that we have to reach out to in order to just like calm our system down and of course I guess ideal self-regulation that you probably have a better definition no I think that's really good it's just like being able to just calm your own body system down well I think it's important (laughs) well and I I think you're on to I mean it's important to have both right and I've been uh, reading a lot of stuff research stuff on this about how especially if you're faith-based it's important that we have those external things like God and um exercise eating healthy you know painting drawing uh coloring um yes as an adult i still like to color you know um talking to friends joke you know sometimes you just want to hang out with the the people you love and just joke you don't even really want to you know something to lighten the mood but i think it's also it's i think you should have yeah you can hold both and you need external things you also need internal things like mindfulness and grounding And, and i know people are like I took some deep breaths and it doesn't work. I mean, you know, I I hear that a lot is people are like the deep breathing doesn't work, but, but you kind of have to take time to do it because think about it. When you are in that fight or flight, stressful internally situation and you're triggered, your emotions are very high, right? And you are very, your body's tense. Usually uh, your heart's beating fast, your face feels hot and you need to be able to have some of that internal regulation, like really taking time to do slow deep breaths maybe counting in four counting out four multiple times really doing grounding things like the five senses to engage all your senses maybe going outside barefoot and just putting your feet uh in the grass or sand or wherever you're at to get some of that regulation and being able to internally regulate so that your body can come to more of an equilibrium and a a self-regulated state and then you can also use those external coping skills along with it so, you know, as adults, like you were saying, Macy, and sometimes they're maladaptive, and that's something you have to figure out within yourself. What is a healthy, what is an unhealthy coping skill that I use internally or externally? But like you were saying earlier, children, they, they don't have the capacity necessarily to self-regulate. So a lot of their self-soothing is coming from those external regulation things. And so that's why us as the adult helping them co-regulate is so important because sometimes, and like we talked about, especially infancy to 18 months specifically, we are what they depend on. 
and we are one of their only external resources. And so if we can't regulate, what do they have to help them regulate? You know, in the very beginning stage, we are their main source for all those things to regulate. And that's where we see some of this trust and mistrust coming in. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the physical side, some other ways as they get a little older that they can external things that maybe parents can use to help facilitate some of this positive self-soothing they can use. Yeah, well, I was just going to say there that the the self-soothing in the uh, infant might look more like having a pacifier or sucking a thumb uh, or, you know, even having some kind of external sensory input. And with older kids, you might see them like, putting their hands on a soft texture, you know, you see that pretty commonly, or a poppet, fidget, spinner, whatever. But as far as infancy, it is not a skill or, like, it's not a milestone to be able to self-soothe. Like, that is just kind of last resort whenever you cannot regulate your own emotional, physiological state as when it comes to stress. And that is the role of the caregiver is to co-regulate uh, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just going back to what you're saying earlier, too, that sometimes I think we get in this one size fits all for our kids, kind of like you were talking about, like, why are they not sleeping? Like, all the kids on Instagram look like they're sleeping, yeah. right? <laughs> why, why do even, even here, why did they not sleep as well as my other kids did? Yeah. Right? There must be something wrong, or I'm doing something wrong. That, and like you were saying, that's not necessarily the case. Each child is unique, and they come with their certain set of needs, right? I'm and sure they come you can... with their own manual. Yes, <laughs> right. Right, you wish. Uh, but I know you can tell within your three kids, especially, that they have different needs specifically to them, and they have different challenges specifically to them. And so your babies will be the same way because they start being shaped in utero and um and so they will have unique experiences when they get out and they may have unique needs that maybe sleeping is one of their biggest needs and that they have the struggle with. That's fine. Maybe it's feeding. Maybe it's whatever it is as they get older. But each child has their own needs. And I think like you were saying, I think we get really frustrated or we get really upset when we think they aren't doing the things we think they should do. But like we were talking about, sometimes we have too high expectations of children to be able to self-regulate and do things that maybe they specifically don't have the capacity for and that's okay. They can do different things if it's more physical side like you know develop physical developmental things. I know you work with a lot. Maybe they need an outside source to help them right in which we hope we can give them some resources here. If it's emotional, maybe, you know, they can get, the adult can get some outside resources to help them figure out how to regulate. But each child is unique. And so don't get super frustrated when they don't fit this mold or even if they don't exactly work the same way as your other children, right? Because they're unique. So. Yeah. Well, and that being said, co-regulation is not just like, okay, you be calm and your baby will be calm. Um, if only it were that simple. Right. But as parents, coming back to what we um, had kind of prefaced the whole episode with as far as, like, the role of the parent. Like, there's so much that you can do for your child that you don't need a professional to do. But just, like, for example, if you have a persistently crying infant, there are, like, different positions that you can put them in to, that are more soothing to them. Um, and we might talk about some more of those later on uh, but you'll you'll try different things to try to sue them like a, a passy or bouncing on a ball or rocking you know and so 
yeah, just wanted to highlight that. I think I think that's really good too. We don't want you to give you unrealistic expectations that that if you are able to regulate your emotions, then your children will automatically be able to regulate. That's not how it works. If you are out of sorts, then there is probably no way on earth that your child is gonna regulate themselves. That's yes, that's a good point. Yes, for sure. If you're dysregulated, they're gonna stay dysregulated. But just if you yourself are emotionally regulated, that doesn't necessarily mean that your child will just automatically start being emotionally regulated. But what it does mean is that you're setting the stage for them to learn how to emotionally regulate and that through this stage of development, they will learn those things and that you will see them slowly be able to come become more regulated and emotionally regulate as they get older. Like Macy was saying, it doesn't mean that it's a, as soon as you regulate, they're going to regulate, but it means that you're setting the stage and that they will be able to grow into that emotional regulation as they have the capacity to do so developmentally. But you made a really good point, Macy. We know for sure that if you're dysregulated, they most likely are not going to be able to learn even how to regulate. And like I said, maybe, and maybe you're coming to this podcast and you did not, you grew, you grew up in a very dysregulated home and we know that, you know, I grew up in a very dysregulated home. And so I know that this is a lot of stuff I've had to go back and kind of reparent myself in and learn how to do these things that, so that one day I can use this knowledge that when me and my husband do decide to have kids that we can use that with them. But I know that I can use this now with the kids that I work with, but maybe it is you need to go back and do that work to reparent yourself and undo some of those unhealthy uh, coping skills are unhealthy ways that you've learned to deal with your emotions, and that's okay. Uh, it may take time for you to do that as well, and it's okay, okay for you as a parent to take time and space to do that because, it, you know, I think sometimes we think if we do things for ourselves or you, you know, parents think if they do things for themselves, it's selfish. But this is really something that it is, it is actually the most selfless thing you can do is to try to work through some of these things so that you can provide that stable environment for your child. Yeah, and I think that just kind of, summarizes perfectly what we, we've said about development being so social. Um, the attachment, bonding, and just social aspect of, of all domains really sets the stage for later outcomes and, you know, acquiring all these skills that you use later and later throughout life um, in order to participate in a rich, full life, which that is ultimately our goal for our kids. It's time for the part of the show where we'll share a home hack. These are practical strategies that you, the parent, can put into place right now to optimize development within the context of your own home routines. So this is our section, and we're, we're going to call it home hacks. This is just something we're going to do at the very end of each of our podcasts. It's just a time where me and Macy are just going to give a couple of tips, a couple of challenges that we hope are helpful to you personally and to your family that you can take from this podcast because we don't want to just give information. We want to really give you practical tools on how to carry this stuff out. My encouragement and challenge to you as the parent or caregiver of children is that you really take time this week to identify two to three emotional triggers for you, specifically what those triggers are. And then that you would also try to identify one external coping skill and one internal coping skill to address each of those triggers. So like we said, an external coping skill would be like going on a walk, coloring, 
painting, calling a friend, an internal one would be the five senses grounding one that I talked about earlier in the session, um, or any kind of mindfulness that you can do deep breathing where you count in for and count out for as you breathe in and as you breathe out. That will be beneficial to help you internally self-regulate and try to find, and this will take practice. It's like learning any new skill. Uh, when we have learned how to Dis, you know, we've learned for a long time how to not really cope with these or maybe not in the best way. It'll take time to learn these. It's just like if we learn to play an instrument or a sport or anything. It takes time, but but it will. you will develop new habits as you try to uh, address these things and use this. It's kind of like a game plan. So you're making a game plan. You're identifying your trigger. You're identifying your opponent. Then you're making a game plan of how to address that opponent so that you can be more in control of those feelings. It doesn't mean feelings aren't bad. We all have feelings, but I always tell my kids that uh, we can let our feelings ride with us, but we can't let them drive. So these coping skills are really to help you let your feelings ride, acknowledge them. They are important. And that's important for self-regulation is to acknowledge your feelings, but you can't let them drive. We have to do things that help us regulate within ourselves. So Macy. Strap the feelings to the roof. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, some of my strategies for uh, the home are going to focus on calming a colicky or nonstop crying baby. Just from a PT's perspective, a really good thing for helping a little one regulate their system is, I don't really know what it's called actually, but giving their feet something to push on. So like if you have your baby on their back in your lap, getting their feet snug up against your your belly to like push on it it's just like very grounding for the baby and it'll really help them to have a better sense of feeling like they're not just like floating out in the middle of space for I mean that's not how the babies describe it but I think that's um, kind of the effect that it has kind of like how you might think that sitting on a therapy ball or a physio ball whatever uh, and somebody bouncing it for you is kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm not in control. Uh, there's a lot happening in my vestibular system that I'm not, I'm not driving. In the same way, this contact to the feet can be really beneficial. So you can do that also while you're, you know, walking around or like bouncing, rocking. Just something to try, see if it works. Um, another thing that you can try is having, if your baby will not stop crying, have their back to you, and you have a hand across their belly, say you're in standing, and then you have another hand underneath their bottom, so they're almost kind of like sitting in a chair position on you. You know, again, you can bounce on a physio ball, or you can even, you know, making sure you have a good hold, keeping them in that chair position, um, like kind of elevate and drop <laughs> the baby um, pretty quickly, just as another, you know, kind of hit of sensory input to their system and a lot of times it will really snap them out of the cry you can really make an impact on how long they cry so with that we're going to wrap up our episode today thank you so much for listening with us to find out some more resources and information you can visit nurturehealthhome.com we have a blog over there with all kinds of practical tips for different stages and domains of development. Also, you can find us on Nurture Health Home 
on Instagram and share the show with a friend. If you enjoyed it, maybe share it even if you didn't enjoy it. That'd be great. And we We will see you guys. (laughs) We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review to help others find it so that they can learn more about how to raise healthy babies that turn into healthy adults. Visit NurtureHealthHome.com for our blog and to find more information about how booking an infant wellness consultation could help you and your little one bond better and meet developmental milestones. And you can also find us on the Instagram at NurtureHealthHome. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.